Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. This one is about fitness through the pandemic. I co-hosted, along with my colleague at University of Miami, a webinar that talked about what changes, what reactions the fitness world has had through the pandemic, what they expect to continue as we move into the winter and colder months, how we're going to approach the pandemic going forward. So all these things we talked about in a webinar that I hosted this week. So I wanted to post it as a podcast as well. I'll introduce that in a second. First, a rant. Just just responding to some narrative about Dak Prescott and that gruesome injury, and it was so unfortunate to see him crying out there, bone-chilling injury. But let's just be clear about Dak Prescott. He's not going to be heavily disadvantaged financially from this injury. Now, I'm assuming, and I'm going to make an assumption here, Now, everything I've read goes with this assumption. This is not a career-ending injury. This is not an injury that's going to prevent him from playing in September of next year, 11 months from now. So with all that known, I don't see any problem. I'm still bullish about the financial future of Dak Prescott. Because in February, he's going to be in the same position that he was in in last February, where he had three choices. Do a deal with the Cowboys, but obviously it takes two to tango. They've got to meet his price, whatever his price is, and we don't know a lot about that negotiation. That's number one. Number two, sign for the franchise tag, which he could do again next year, $38 million. Combined with his $31 million would be $69 million over two. Compare that to Patrick Mahomes, who's getting $63 million over three years. Dak would have $69 over two. That's a good deal. Or the third option is, from the Cowboys' point of view, is let him go to the market. And good luck with that. Dak Prescott is going to get paid in the market more than he would get paid with the Dallas Cowboys. Let's just be clear. The last quarterback... Last two quarterbacks who hit the market with any value were Kirk Cousins, who got the most guaranteed of ever, the first fully guaranteed veteran contract in football. And of course, Peyton Manning years ago, coming off not one, not two, but three neck surgeries and in a bidding war among 15 teams. So Dak Prescott will get a massive contract if the Cowboys let him get to the market, which they won't. So they'll either do a deal, and of course he has to agree to that deal, or he'll get a franchise tag. And the reason, the, the one thing that should be lamented here about Dak Prescott is not that he didn't take the deal. It's that he couldn't get to free agency. And why, of course, that's the franchise tag. It's a restriction on players in the NFL that we don't have in the NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball that ties the most elite players to their teams. It not only affects the market for those top guys, but it affects every market under that, too, because they set the ceiling and everything trickles down from that. Don't get me started on the franchise tag. I bring it up every time. Everyone says it only affects 10 guys. There are other priorities for the union. Well, the franchise tag is a big one, affecting top-tier compensation for the elite, and that's a problem. So that's my rant. Dak Prescott will be fine financially. It's a terrible thing that's happened to him on the public stage, and his ankle obviously going in different places. No one wanted to see that, but he'll be fine. And the Cowboys are even on record that they're going to take care of him. So everyone is watching, not only Cowboy players, but players around the league, that they're going to do the right thing with Dak Prescott. My sense is he plays on another franchise tag, which, again, would give him a massive amount of money, almost $70 million 
over two years, and maybe then he hits the free agent market, or then the Cowboys pay what they could have paid last year and saved a lot of money. So here we are. Dak, I'm still bullish about his financial future. Okay, let's get to the webinar. Wanted to do something about how people reacted to fitness during the pandemic. So I've talked to some fitness owners, a CrossFit owner, someone who runs Pilates studios, and someone who's a former NFL player that has strength and conditioning for athletes, along with the general counsel for Equinox. And it is a wide-ranging conversation with me hosting and moderating all about fitness through the pandemic. Joining me is Yen Chu from Equinox, Ariane Richard, who owns several Pilates gyms, Tremble in South Florida, and Mark Megna, former NFL player, CFL player of Anatomy Fitness that trains both individual clients and classes and uh, runs a strong strength and conditioning program down in South Florida. So all of these people came together with me, and without further ado, I present to you the future of fitness through the pandemic and beyond. Enjoy. Six months ago, kind of the world changed, and we've been in this sort of different world since with the pandemic and all the things attributed to it. But one area we are focusing on today is fitness. So I guess I'll start with sort of where were you and how did you react instantly and immediately and over the coming days, and then we'll get into weeks and months, when the world changed. And it changed in so many ways, but especially with fitness and social distancing and contact and worries about the virus and all the things that we didn't know now that we have learned. So we'll just start and go around and sort of see how you adapted and what those adaptations have led to over the recent months. Ariane, we'll start with you. Great. Yeah, I remember it, and I can't believe it was uh, half a year ago, as you just mentioned. Um, You know, when we initially found out um, that we had to shut down our fitness studios, it was a a little bit of a shock to us at the time, and there were so many competing regulations between county and city and state, and we didn't really know what to follow or what to do at the time. And even having a background as an attorney and reading through all these different regulations, I definitely had a challenging time figuring out what the guidelines would be, when we would be open, and how to proceed forward. Um, you know, and then as during the shutdown, uh, we had to figure out how we were going to pivot the business as soon as we were going to be able to open back up. Um, and that was a challenge as well. So you have, as a brick-and-mortar fitness studio, you have challenges, everything from rent and obligations that don't stop. Um, but, you know, you want to be able to come out of it and also keeping the morale of our team and our staff high. Um, and so through COVID, we were trying to figure out ways to engage our staff and our community so we wouldn't lose our client base. And as we came out of COVID, um, one of the challenges was then again adhering to competing regulations and guidelines and trying to figure them all out with respect to distancing, masks, um, and all sorts of different protocols uh, that were being enforced at the time. So it's a, you know, it was a new experience for us in many ways, something I certainly never had to navigate um, as a leader and as an entrepreneur, but those skills were certainly tested during that time. Uh, having the support of the staff was important, the goodwill of the staff. Uh, and the community as well. And it's, I'm going to tell you, it's just a continual process. I'm learning every day um, how to navigate this. And 
with the best interest of the client in mind. That's been our safety standard. And um, yeah, so that's been our initial process. And we're still learning every day. We're still not fully back open up off our feet yet, but we, it's a slow migration. And so it's, it's, been a, it's been a process every day. Yeah, I bet it's a challenge. And Nikki, you have, a, you have what's called a micro gym and right. uh, CrossFit specific. So tell us about your experience. Sure. Um, yeah, we're a, we're a single location. We're um, at the time just over 200 um, members in the outskirts of Philadelphia. And, um, you know, when we first started hearing about places closing, it was actually a neighboring county got closed and people asked us, well, what does that mean for you? And I said, well, looks like we we're lucky. We're we're one county over, but you could literally throw a stone and be in that county. Um, so it was a matter of a couple of days before we were shut down as well. Um, and still people asking us, well, what are you going to do? You can't just close the gym for two weeks, which is really funny in retrospect. Everyone was concerned we couldn't close for two weeks and we ended up being shut for, you know, four months almost. Um, I'd echo that, you know, the number one thing was our member safety. Um, but not only that, as a small gym, um, we rely on our members trusting our decision-making every day. And previously that was trust regarding their physical safety in the gym. What weight should they lift? What should or shouldn't they do with their training? Um, but it was a natural extension over to this world of viral safety. Um, the same trust they placed in us, we took that really seriously to continue being able to lead them through this. Um, so my husband and I, we run the gym together, and we said the first thing is, you know, we have to be honest. We have to give, be, be an open book, um, have put safety first, and we need them to know that in this crazy world where everything is changing, um, one day to the next, it just seemed like things were changing, that we're going to be a constant. We're whatever, however we can be part of their daily life, we're going to find a way to be part of their daily life just like we were before. For us, that meant pivoting to virtual. Um, eventually, we were able to meet for some small outdoor gatherings, and now we're back inside the gym just in smaller classes. Um, but those are really the key things for us is maintaining their trust and um, just being something reliable, something constant in their lives that they knew we were going to be there. Yeah, Mark, what I'm hearing is, and I'm sure you can relate to this, kind of a navigating your own world and running a business and trying to keep it afloat, but also being there for your clientele and sort of navigating for them, what's their fitness going to be like? How are you going to make them feel safe? Are they going to continue to come? And how do you, I mean, you have so many concerns going on your own business, but then you have to worry about your clients as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great question. And at first, with very little information coming in, you know, we didn't have a, a, a grasp or an understanding of what we're dealing with. Now, certainly, there's a surplus of information. We were having the team come in prior to shutdown, you know, four o'clock in the morning, where we were cleaning the entire gym, uh, all the cardio equipment, the weights, the barbells, everything in the entire gym is being wiped down because we don't know what is necessary and what's not, and why not take a, a step to take all the precautions, but. Um, you know, when it was announced that we have to shut down, I'm running around from location to location and trying to get a good sense of the, the concern and how do people feel? Do they want to come in? Are they staying at home? Are they locking themselves down? And, um, we, I think that was a great exercise for me personally, but the rest of our leadership and 
be as understanding as possible, as empathetic as possible in trying to figure out what our team needs. And I, I make the joke, I, that was like the hardest or, or the most work I've done while I've been involved in it, it was our baby anatomy, calling people all day from the front desk to our detail and maintenance team to our, our leadership. I'm so proud of them, the way they kept contact and the way they went out of the way just to make sure people were okay and that their needs were being met just as far as putting food on the table, whatever it may be. But, you know, I think taking care of members, taking care of our team and understanding that this is a time to pay attention to the most important person, which is the other person, which is our teammates, our, our members, and just trying to get them comfortable with whatever it was. And then we started extending to virtual classes and offering them for free freezing memberships and just trying to make sure that they can maintain some sense of normalcy. Um, but it was a, uh, a daunting task and something I've never experienced before, certainly like all of us COVID, but that amount of connectivity with everyone was, uh, it was a grind. It was a grind. Still is. I'm sure it is. And now we're going to get to Yen and I'm sure all of, all of us are calling people like Yen saying, what the heck, you know, because you, as the chief legal officer for Equinox, I'm sure now we're looking at a macro situation where the whole world is changing. There's so many questions. How do you navigate this? It's never happened before. I guess there's so much to ask, Yen. How, do you, how did you start with this? Where did it come up? And how did you navigate through the local and county and city and municipal and state, all the differences that you deal with across your holdings? So Equinox is global. So I think that that creates a myriad of challenges, not just the single challenge, which is difficult enough figuring out all the things that we have to do that everybody has said so far, um, but also juggling it in various jurisdictions and various countries, et cetera. So that's, that's been a, a handful. I agree with everything everyone has said. Um, I think it's easy to say that you, to crystallize the day that you had to shut down as the beginning, but that wasn't the beginning. I think Mark is absolutely correct. It, it, it started before that. It started when we all started reading the news and saying, what's going on here? Um, and then things kept changing, right? The guidance kept changing. We were all trying to keep up with it and wanting to do the best for our employees as well as our members. Um, and so wanting to, with very little information and the little information that we had continued to change. I mean, I remember in February where the CDC said, no, no, you don't need to wear masks. It's okay. Um, and, and so, you know, we went a long ways from there and we flip-flopped a lot and, and we as in society, not necessarily the company. Um, but it, I think that really has been, uh, you know, I think almost having the shutdown was a crystallized moment, but we were all doing things before then, making sure that it, it, the irony of all this is that we are here, all of us, to make people's lives better in terms of health and wellness. And here we are in a health pandemic. Um, and, and so it, it is the fact that we were open was to make people's lives better, their bodies better, their immunity system, all of that. And so just juxtaposing those two things and figuring out what needed to be done to ensure the safety of members and employees while still doing everything we needed to do. I think, I mean, 
kind of doing all that. And then with the shutdown, everything that everyone has said so far in terms of just looking at it and saying, what do we do? What needs, how do we protect um, our employees uh, financially as well? Not just um, physically, but financially. What do we do for the day that the lights go back on? Um, how do we take care of things when the lights go back on? And so even though doors were shut, I think a lot of us, um, everybody on this panel, I'm sure, spent time figuring out the reopening strategy, not knowing what day that would be, but being prepared because when the lights go back on, we all wanted to be ready and we knew this was important. Um, these are places that are just not like a restaurant or and nothing against restaurants or retail, but this is for some people, this is their spiritual place. This is where they feel very fulfilled and we need to make sure that they have everything they need. Um, so very much, a, you know, similar story with everyone, um, but, and then just the added complex for Equinox with respect to multiple jurisdictions multiple and, and even be doing business in the UK and Canada, um, figuring out different countries and how things were being treated there. Um, I, I don't think I've, I've, I've listened to some more press conferences <laughs> than I ever have just to kind of keep on top of everything. Yeah, I'll stay with you, Yen, and then we'll, we'll deal with this question, sort of the two-part, the at-home and the outside, because as this thing developed, everyone realized, okay, can't can't congregate, and we're still at that point. So outdoor better than indoor, open air better than inside, et cetera, et cetera. And you guys, and you, you told me, and I noted that you started Equinox in the wild. So how that, was that something that was germinating before all this, and how's it going, and is it plans to continue? And then we'll talk to all you guys about sort of the at-home and outside aspect to this. So the digital piece we had announced back in, I think it was late August 2019, um, that we were launching a digital platform, a multi-brand digital platform that would have uh, Equinox personal training, soul cycle rides, um, precision run lessons, all various components of our portfolio brands on there. Um, so that was already in the works. It, it was it coincided with the the, the launch was accelerated and it coincided with, with you know the need the accelerated need more than anything. There was always a need, but the accelerated need. Equinox in the Wild um, is we, we have two locations. One is in Los Angeles, um, which right now Southern California. There is, I mean, depending on the county, um, and, and we have like this crazy spreadsheet when my team is trying to figure out what is the capacity issue here, what's that. Um, but, you know, California opened and then closed in the summer. Um, and so the slow reopening in California was something where our, our members, there was demand. Our members really wanted to continue to work out and um, it thought what a fantastic opportunity to just do a, a an outdoor gym, um, outdoor club with all the components, everything that we normally have. Um, and we actually just last week launched it in New York City as well in Hudson Yards. So, and, and it's something that like it, people like it. Um, I think it's it, it's it's gives people an opportunity to. The weather is still fantastic. Um, work outside and still kind of have fantastic views and whatnot, but still have all the various components that would be indoors. Erin, at home. Thanks, Yen. Erin, at home or online, 
was it going on before all this for you and how have you transitioned? Is it something you're going to have continuing in the future? So we're on the, um, the opposite side of the scale again. We were not doing at home at all. <laughs> so it was a really interesting process for us to get behind it. Um, you know, I had thought about it for a while. Um, this experience definitely accelerated the process for us. Uh, we sensed immediately that because people were at home, they wanted to feel a way, they wanted to feel connected in some capacity. Um, and so just bringing our favorite instructors and great routines into the, into the home was a great experience for us. And we went, we had started with Instagram just as, you know, just as a start. And we put all of our favorite instructors up on there and we had, we couldn't even get weights and bands and balls on Amazon because they were sold out. Um, so we were not prepared yet like you were. Um, so we had people grab, you know, water bottles as weights. You know, we made, we made um, the best out of what we could do in the moment. And just the smile and feeling connected was, you know, something to us that was great. Um, now, moving forward in our studios currently, we're not moving around a lot. People are, are on dedicated reformers. So they're not moving from machine to machine. So that's one thing that we don't have to worry about, which is really nice. Um, you know, the cleaning process, the sanitizing process is something that we're continuing to be educated on to make sure that people feel comfortable. Um, and we have that distancing in between our machines that are, you know, regulated. And I'll say this because coming from my legal background, there's business decisions and then there's legal decisions. <laughs> and sometimes the two are totally different. So while the law may tell us you are free to open up and maybe decide masks are optional, um, it doesn't sit well with our clients in certain ways. And so um, these are, you know, the, the competing interests between business and legal are very interesting for us. Um, and sometimes we have to, you know, we have to go business mode and figure out what's the right thing for our clients. I think I sense moving forward that um, digital and the in-home and uh, the studio experience will become more of a hybrid than it was before, because I think it forced a lot of people out of their comfort zone to be able to do these things in, in home. And while there are different demographics adapting to the in-home model, like for example, stay-at-home moms whose kids are home right now, um, there's a lot of people that have the flexibility to throw in a home workout when they're not able to get to the studio. Uh, what we're currently seeing, and I would say more rapidly so in the last month, is that people are feeling a little safer to come back into the studios, but again, with that conservative standard to be able to and guidelines. Um, but we are feeling that people are longing that sense of human connectedness. And uh, it's, it's part of our human nature. So I think it's going to be more of a hybrid forward. Um, I don't think we'll ever go totally digital, but I think having the option there, it's nice. And we're definitely going to explore it better. Um, Instagram was a great start for us because it was a free option. And now our COO actually during um, COVID actually got behind building a platform for us. So that was really nice to be able to get into that space. So I think it's, it's going to be a hybrid moving forward. I want to drill down on something you said there. You're a lawyer and you're a business owner. So you talked about competing interests. Can you give us an example of maybe some time, some instance where that happened with your business as a lawyer and a business owner? Definitely. Um, you know, the guidelines went from 10 feet to six feet. Well, six feet, that might be, that might be correct legally. Um, but our clients are not loving that option in the studio because when they get in there and they see how close six feet is, um, you know, it's, it's too much for them at that time. So I think the law is moving a little faster 
than what our clientele was prepared for at the time. And though we can say, oh, well, the law, you know, you know, this is what the law says. Now we have, we can have a client that's going to turn around and say, well, I don't feel comfortable being here. And then I'll end up losing my clientele as a result of this. And I, you know, I'd rather cater towards, you know, conservatively in these cases, slowly bring back my clientele while following legal policy. But I, I do feel, um, especially in the recent weeks, you know, with, and there's been some conversations about masks being optional. And by the way, in different parts of Florida, like I, I have different people coming in from, let's say Palm Beach down to our location. They're like, oh, you guys are still wearing masks around here. And I said, yes, absolutely. We have to. Uh, so it's, for me, it's been, a you know, though we've got competing interests and it's, it's come down to, uh, to catering towards the best interests of the client. Mark, have you faced the same, I mean, you, do you train individually as well as group classes and have you found differences in what people want and what they're comfortable uh, with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we quickly, piece together an online class schedule uh, led by our uh, head of group, Dennis Jacqueline Case, and she did a wonderful job. It was actually more successful than we thought. And, and it was something that we, I guess, jumped into as we all did, that we weren't exactly in a rush to do so. Uh, that being said, we, the traffic and the using the online piece as the vehicle to draw people into what anatomy is has brought us even more people from other parts who are now coming into the Miami area because we have uh, the three locations in South Florida. But we also offered a one-on-one -on -one personal training. And these, it took the one-on-one -on -one people to classes, and they normally don't take classes. And it took the class people to one-on-ones because something I learned in in, in two thousand eight. Uh, People were, everyone was struggling. The world was falling apart, but uh, the U.S. was falling apart. But they, they, they would do anything to maintain their health. They felt like, hey, that's the only thing I can control. As Yen mentioned, it is a part of me that it's my wellness. It's my overall wellness. And this is something that I'm going to actively take part in. If you're home all day, you're working from the house, you're in quarantine. I mean, these people, we had people taking classes. We had people doing one-on-one -on -one training. Um, and, you know, coming out of it, we have a large space in our midtown location that offers enough space to cater to our clients and just trying to get an understanding as Arian said, it's, it was better to, to be a little bit conservative and, and try to meet in the middle with what the needs are of all the people to keep everyone safe. But these are things that we'd like to continue to access. And we firmly believe it's, it's a vital part of the future of fitness, but it's also, a great way to complement their in-house training. I firmly believe that people need people. The reason that fitness facilities exist is not necessarily for the machines or the exercises because the interaction is absolutely crucial. And I think that is certainly coming back as we're seeing now, but these complements will always have their place in fitness and wellness. Well said. Nikki, your experience? Um, so, so I think going back to the original question, which is, um, you know, how did we make use of virtual methods and all that, right? Um, you know, we did 
right away once we shut down, start offering at-home workouts. We basically put out a video every day and told the members, gave them an option of what they could do at home. We often had people using water bottles or, you know, gallon jugs of water. Um, big fans of bricks make really good lightweight dumbbells. Cinder blocks are great. Um, so we were creative. Uh, once we realized this was going to be going on for a while, we actually had a one day where our clients, it's a benefit again of being a, a micro gym, um, we let people come in and take home one dumbbell or kettlebell, one, that they can then use um, for the workouts. And that's what we did for the, the next like 80 days. We, we gave them at-home workouts using a single dumbbell or kettlebell. Um, it was kind of fun, though. I think it actually built community. People looked forward to um, seeing everyone else's results, seeing the creative things they used for their workouts. We put out a, a nutrition and workout challenge um, to keep people kind of motivated during that time. Um, but we realized right away, we, we had to get back to meeting as a group, as everyone else has meant, had mentioned, you know, being in a group is what keeps a lot of us going and motivated with our workouts. Um, we realized our best chance was meeting outdoor and we struggled to find the guidance in our state, in our County. Could we meet outside? You know, they had cleared certain recreational activities, but it wasn't, it wasn't apparent if that applied to us. And I ended up having to go through a local state representative, um, who she kind of blessed off on yet. Yeah, I think you're okay meeting outside. Um, but you should probably talk to your local police because they're ultimately the ones who would come by and stop you. So we called, I talked to the police chief in my town and they said no problem. So I felt great. We started offering outdoor workouts, um, you know, 20 foot distancing, even though the guidance was six feet, we had people spaced out in a parking lot. Um, cause again, it, it just comes back to trust and, and letting those folks know we're putting their safety first what was really interesting to me is I, you know, I felt like we had this great thing going. These outdoor workouts were wonderful. And I called uh, another local gym owner um, who's a couple towns over and said, hey, here's what we're doing. It's working great for us. Have you explored this? They called their police chief who said, absolutely not. You can't do that. Okay. Yeah. So that just goes to show the, the local county, the state. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of guidance. Um, right. And I totally agree that a lot of times um, – the business decision was more conservative than the legal decision. And that was a surprise to me. I hadn't really encountered that much as a business owner. Usually the legal is the most restrictive. Um, in this case, it was, it was that, it was that business decision and that trust decision. Um, so anyway, going forward, you know, we do, we still do offer at home workouts. Um, some people that's all they're doing. They're not comfortable yet coming back in the gym most of our clients, it's this hybrid approach where they'll do one or two at home. They'll do two to three in the gym. Um, and that seems to be working well for us. Starting to get some questions in. This one's for you, Yen. It talks about your online platform growing and solid core being added. Um, how much does this offset the Equinox Soul Cycle closures? How hard it is to differentiate your online training? And we've talked to all you guys about this from those of your competitors. And Yen, your competitors are obviously national and global. So do you want to start on that? Well, it, having a portfolio of brands um, makes it more interesting for us. Um, so you're not just targeting any one competitor or one entity. Um, so for us, it, it was always designed to be a multi-brand platform. It was always designed to have different a variety of, of of different options. Um, and so it never really was about just, you know, one thing. 
Um, I think there are certainly apps out there and certainly other um, digital platforms that are just singular. Ours was never designed to be that way. Um, and I think that, you know, with that was designed way before COVID. Um, so I think the shutdown has, I mean, none of us predicted anyways, to be quite honest, right? And, it, and I heard a joke once where somebody said something about, like, everybody who interviewed years ago and, and was asked, where do you see yourself in five years, got that answer wrong. Um, and, and I think that's certainly true. None of us knew. And I think the biggest lesson everybody has learned from this is to look at it um, and pivot quickly. And, and I think for us, the app has been one of those things where, again, we announced it, we were going to launch it. We launched, we accelerated the launch um, and, and rolled it out. Um, the demand has always, will, would have been there. You couldn't, we couldn't have like quickly done that overnight. Um, it, it was, it had taken some time in the making to, and we just quickly got it out there. Um, in terms of whether that is a permanent or, a, you know, I don't know if anybody has to call in terms of what we see here um, and how long things will be shut down. Our biggest markets are New York and California. Um, California is, I mean, currently very limited. Um, at one point, New York was. And I think, you know, but then all of a sudden, I mean, everybody knows New York had a very high infection rate and then we look below 1% and have remained there for quite some time. So I think it, it, it's, it's really, again, I have to just emphasize, I mean, if I've learned anything, we, we all just need to kind of go with the flow and pivot quickly. <laughs> have you or any of you guys mandated that your members sign waivers? And what has been the reaction to that, if you have? I, I can start. We, we do a health declaration. Um, so all of our members uh, come in and they have to do a declaration before um, it, they come in saying, you know, they don't have any of the symptoms, understanding that certain people can still be positive and asymptomatic, but they also need to declare and certify that they have, they're not currently positive. Um, and that they don't have a temperature, all various things. Um, so we, we certainly do require our members to do a declaration. Erin? Yeah, so we took uh, similar precautions uh, with the temperature check and um, with making sure that nobody has any symptoms or have known of any symptoms. Um, we did incorporate it into our waiver, but I will say I'm not sure how that would pan out necessarily if somebody got COVID because how can you prove where COVID where you actually got COVID? I mean. Was it from, you know, as Yen mentioned on an earlier call, you know, you can get it from the grocery store um, prior to coming in that day. So um, it's there. Um, and I'm not sure if it's there optically or if it can, if it can really be enforceable. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what's the most important thing is really for me as a business owner who cares about, you know, our clients and business to take all the potential safety standards that you can take except shutting down, you know, because that's really what we didn't want to do. Um, so I think for our clients, it's important to have hand sanitizer by the door and to make sure that, I mean, we literally on our, in our, as people were coming in, as we began to open our doors, all the doors were held for people. So they would just walk in and they would have least contact, least touch possible. 
Um, so for us, um, we haven't incorporated, but I don't know about the true enforceability of um, such a provision. Well, you said it was incorporated into your, you have a standard waiver when they join, I suppose. Or, now, yes. did they have to sign a waiver or something different every time? They came so that's a good question. No, not every time. And that's, I think, where um, Yen mentioned there's like a screening prior. Um, we don't have that every time they come in, um, but we do, you know, standard uh, checks. We ask if they have been symptomatic and we also take their temperature. But again, um, you know, nothing, I mean, we have them sign a COVID waiver prior and it's prior, it's separate from our regular waiver. We actually created a separate waiver right. that we sent out to our clients. Similar for you, Mark? Yeah, we do the temperature checks and we also created the waiver for our team. So the team members have to fill out that waiver every single day. Um, but also we happen, we have, we consider ourselves the one-stop shop. So we have a, uh, medical inside which is aside from physical therapy we have iv therapy but inside iv therapy there's a, a a nurse on call and that nurse was doing covid tests in itself where the person wouldn't walk into the facility they would walk up the back stairwell and they would get swabbed outside so if there was any concern we could do something to get involved there's multiple testing going on but as far as the waiver to answer your original question we didn't have the waiver for our members we just did the temperature checks Nikki? Uh, yeah, we had our waiver reviewed um, by our attorney and we talked to our insurance company and they had recommended that we did not need any changes from our standard waiver. Um, so we um, we didn't change our, you know, our waiver kind of already covered this sort of thing and they didn't feel the need to call out COVID specifically. Hmm. And does any do through this time, have any of you required contact tracing? of your members? I guess that means to know if they were around someone. We certainly ask. <laughs> we, yeah. It's hard to say, do you require? We, we let them know the expectation is that if they're aware they were within close contact, um, that they should not be coming in and they should let us, let us know. Um, we also ask that they abide by, in Pennsylvania, there's just a kind of a travel recommendation right. that once you travel to certain states that you quarantine, right. we ask that they abide by that recommendation. Um, it's hard, it's, not, it's hard to enforce because we're not privy to our clients' daily lives. So just like we're asking them to trust us, there's a lot of trust going the other way too. Yeah, one thing that... We also ask if they test positive. Yeah, in our instance, we committed that we would let the entire gym know if a member of the community tested positive, but we would also send a more specific um, you know, communication to the folks in that class. We're all group class-based. Um, so we'd make sure you would know if you were actually in class with an individual. And obviously for HIPAA purposes, we're not going to tell you who it was, right. um, but we're going to let you know that you maybe had a little bit more of a close encounter than the other folks in the gym. Um, fortunately, the way we have the gym set up with at least 10 feet between stations, nothing is a close contact per CDC guidelines, which is um, less than six feet for more than 15 minutes. Um, because we're spaced out more than six feet, nothing is a close contact that would require, you know, some sort of quarantining. Um, but we do want to just let them know that they were more closely exposed. Um, somebody in their actual class tested positive. And a question just came up that I had asked too. What about masks requirements? Yes, for us, they are a requirement in the studio. Um, and uh, yeah, all clients still have to wear masks. It's, it's 
that's been something that's been very important to our clients, and particularly on the back end. Um, we've had, and I know it gets hot. I, I'm sure as you guys all know, fitness addicts, you know, people want to pull it down and, or they want to take it off once they're at their station. And we found that that doesn't work well um, with our clients at all because people get worried. Um, so for us, it is still a requirement um, for sure. I don't, I know that like uh, I, I've heard murmurings of it being optional and it's not optional in our, in our studio, whatever the legal protocol is, it's not optional yet for us. Mark, masks? Yeah, uh, same, same for us. Our, our entire team from front desk detail team, uh, as well as our, our members, they have to wear a mask. And I understand it's, it's I saw the question come up, couldn't it be dangerous wearing a mask and doing some sort of uh, immersive like interval training or something very strenuous? And the answer is absolutely. Yes, it can be very dangerous. So that's why you may want to stay away from those activities for the time being. We also predict, uh, presented other options. You can, And I understand it's not like it's a better option going outside in the heat, but at least you get to breathe freely and and pace yourself and not be restricted with the mask like i just had this conversation before i got on the call as we all know a mask for someone who's well trained can sometimes be an issue can you imagine not being trained at all on the way back but also if you have any sort of respiratory issues it can be scary it can be really scary so i think this is a time to modify uh, your training a little bit but we have had people that insist on others wearing masks and some that just refuse to wear a mask but the rules inside of anatomy that everyone must wear a mask if they need to recover and pull the mask down so be it but those are our rules and that's how we we are uh moving along right now at the time being everyone's wearing a mask yeah, i want to ask a question a little more emotional and moral uh <laughs> than strictly legal or business but Motivation has been an issue for a lot of people and mental health has been an issue for a lot of people during this time. Uh, some of us have really leaned into fitness. Some have shied away. I know a lot of fitness coaches that have become more life coaches than fitness coaches. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Uh, and with that background, I'll read from Mark Sussman and thank you, Mark uh, question. Mark says, I started training very late in life, 70 years old. Until the pandemic hit, I was doing rather well. But because I don't want to risk infection, I will not return to the gym until there's a treatment and or vaccine. I find it very difficult to maintain initiative while I miss going to the gym. What can you recommend to boost motivation on my own at home? Thanks, Mark. And I think a lot of people feel this way. So anybody that wants to start. Nikki? Sure. Um, I, I would suggest, you know, the biggest piece for, for our clients who have chosen to uh, continue training at home right now, um, they need the accountability. And so they're fortunate that they were part of our community before all this happened. And so we have personal relationships with them. Uh, we know their strengths. We know where they struggle. Um, a lot of them have chosen to go on individualized programming where we'll actually program workouts specifically for them. And if they know a coach puts time and thought and effort into programming their workouts, um, we're going to be looking for their results. We're going to be, you know, following up and making sure they're doing what they said they did. Um, you know, that's certainly one option is that individualized um, coaching is one way to stay accountable. Beyond that, if you, you know, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have others, and you can form your own like peer accountability group. And that can really go a long way in the neighborhood I live in. I see 
groups of folks getting together to go for walks, to work out together. Um, and that accountability piece can be just as important. Anyone else? I had a, uh, a support group for my clients so they could hold each other accountable, but they could also become a little bit competitive and they could uh, turn it into a little bit of a contest and they would challenge each other to different things. And it could be X miles of a, of a jog or a walk, or it could be push-ups, whatever it may be, or what the, the workout of the day could possibly for uh, the crossfitting community, the wad of the day for the group, it could have been something as easy as, you know, 200 body weight squats in a specific amount of time. But I think finding that group, is the most important and powerful piece. Even if you're not uh, going into a facility, there has to be some sort of a support group that you can be a part of where you challenge each other and also hold each other accountable. And that's it. That's helped our, our, uh, our members tremendously. Hey, we'll get back to the webinar about the future of fitness in the pandemic in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Now with week five in the books, it's time to review the tape. Let's get ready for week six. There's no better place to do it. Then DraftKings Sportsbook, they're America's top-rated sportsbook app. And, of course, they're giving all new users the chance to receive a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easier for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S, and when you sign up and get up to $1,000, that's code ROSS, get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back to the webinar on fitness in the pandemic. One question coming up from AJ and others is as we approach the fall, winter and potential more surges with the weather, although not as big an issue in South Florida, um, what, what does it look like going forward? What's your preparation level for future surges of the virus, flu season, et cetera? Uh, what kind of preparations are you making? Start with Yen. Um, I think in general, it's a, we're already very vigilant about cleaning, about you know making sure that our standards are followed, um, that we're screening, but that we're you mean the pre part, which is the declaration, the during part, which is ensuring the social distancing and the PPE and et cetera. So the enforcement piece is most important. Um, and then the post part, which is just the tracing um, and, and contacting and letting people know. Uh, I think that it'll be interesting to know what, to see what happens, right? With flu season, et cetera. It, it could be, I, I actually read something where because now everybody's washing their hands so much that the flu season actually might have a different effect this year. Who knows? I, I have no idea. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see. Uh, I think we will, I mean, I think that's probably one thing that might not go away. Maybe people won't wash their hands as frequently or whatnot. But I think that, the the increase in hand washing all of that won't change um it's since you know 2020 and, and i think that we will we'll probably we'll have to see what you know what flu season brings us but also what the uptick may bring us 
Um, I think the, I mean, it is a little bit of just, I think the importance is enforcement. It really is to ensure that if you have these guidelines in place and you put, and you, you stand behind them, I think one of the things you keep hearing over and over on this call is everybody's gone above and beyond um, what the law requires. So it may require X, but you've decided from a business perspective or a trust perspective or whatever it is, you're going to do more. Um, and I think that's, that is going to play a huge part in managing you know, the unknown, which we're all looking towards. Erin, I'm getting a couple questions from you, for you specifically. How did you pivot from being a lawyer to owning a gym? I, I didn't pivot. It's become a huge part of my life. Um, you know, I think, uh, it's interesting. I think, you know, going into the law and then starting a business is a, uh, it's a whole new experience. Uh, but the legal background definitely helps you, um, in the business arena so much from being able to, um, read through and sift through these guidelines that are challenging for all of us to, um, negotiating your own leases and to, you know, um, making all sorts of legal decisions on behalf of your company. Uh, the pivot is probably that um, I had no experience in customer service. So <laughs> this was a new experience for me. Um, customer service is so very different from what we learn in the law. But I, I, I actually hope that more uh, students um, think about going into business, uh, you know, from law school and realize that it's a huge avenue for them and that, being a lawyer actually helps tremendously um, with respect to business. So it might look like a, a sharp turn, uh, but I think having a legal background has helped me uh, not just scale a business, but grow it um, and be able to adapt in these difficult times um, to be able to make quick decisions. So I've de facto become uh, our own lawyer for our, our own in-house counsel for our business. Um, and again, for small business, that helps. Um, to be able to take all of those costs on. Um, also, your friends in law school um, as come in handy. Uh, and your friends are all in all different areas of the law. So it's such a benefit to be able to pick up the phone and call a colleague and say, you know, what do you think about this real estate deal? Or what do you think about um, this contract? Or, you know, how do you think about moving forward? You know, if we franchise, if we don't, you know, and so these are all just a phone call away. So the peer network that you have in law school is, is phenomenal. Um, and make, continuing, I, I mean, the, this business, fitness, is all about relationships at the end of the day. And so are, you know, the friends you make in law school. It's not just about the books that you read and the cases. But um, it, having business experience even prior to law school brings color to the cases. I remember reading about... Um, reading about all these different cases, but I didn't have a context for it because I had no background in business at all. Um, so looking back on it, having a little bit of business experience or knowing anything about it, I think is a huge benefit, but it wasn't as sharp as a turn as you might think. Um, the two are, are similarly aligned in many ways. Mark, I think you answered some of this before, but it's a question that that's come up. How are you handling employees who may be higher risk? or have to take care of loved ones at home, uh, or that may be higher risk themselves? And are you offering flexibility with member contracts who are not comfortable coming back? Uh, we, we, uh, 
to speak to the uh, the latter uh, member contracts, we honestly we were as forgiving and as understanding as possible. This is a very uh, um, you know challenged time. So like I, we were talking to people on the phone as through through the entire quarantine and, and even still today, if someone's you know compromised or they feel unsafe, we give them the benefit of the doubt and we are you know making sure that they. Um, we let them out of their, their contract. We want them to be safe. That's the most important thing. Um, I don't think this is a time to press anyone. I think this is a time we all, all collectively need to be better for each other and to each other uh, in regards to our team members who may have uh, contraindications or respiratory or something else they're dealing with that could be high risk. You know, we've done anything from uh, allow them to take time away and come back we have a, a, a close-knit group here uh, at each location. Our, our, our team members are very loyal, very committed, and we want to stand by them. That's the, that's really, there's really no other option, in my opinion. That's exactly what we have to do right now. And sometimes that doesn't mean it's easy to do, but that's what, uh, that's what we have to do for the time being. And um, that's, I wouldn't have it any other way, to be quite honest. Someone asked a simple question, which is actually a really good question. <laughs> Maybe you could start, Nikki. If someone was to put together a small at-home gym, what are the key items to include for full-body workouts, just from scratch? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's going to depend so much on the style of training that you like to do. So I'm going to answer as a, answer as a CrossFit gym owner, right? What do I, what do I want to see? Um, but I bet a lot of this, um, we'd have, there's so much commonality. Because uh, as Mark said before, we, we teach good movement. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of similarities. I think for a home gym, I want to see resistance bands. I want to see free weights, kettlebells or dumbbells, all different sizes. So you can challenge yourself, um, you know, differently depending on how you're feeling that day, what you're, what you're looking for. Um, and some way to get cardio at home. I live in Pennsylvania, it get pretty cold in the winter. So short of, um, you know, jump roping in your living room or doing burpees, if you can afford some sort of other cardio equipment, like a stationary bike or a rower, something like that usually becomes a favorite of my clients um, for their home gym. Yeah, and the Equinox model going forward, what changes do you see ahead for you? Before I answer that, I was just going to say on the at-home gym, I'm sure. going to call me and get kettlebells and weights because when Amazon was charging 10 times the amount because of the shortage, and Nikki was handing them out, I'm calling her next. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard so many people say, I can't get any. Yeah, free kettlebells from Nikki. Sold out. Um, so I think it's fantastic that you were doing that, Nikki. Um, I'm sorry, you were asking what is next for Equinox? Um, you know, I think it's, it's all about the members. And, and it's always been always about the members. So... As we look at the brand and what it is, we, we try to push the envelope. And so, again, it is being flexible. I think everybody on this panel has done that, and everybody has it has to in order to, to figure out this constantly changing environment. So whether for us that's opening up an outdoor facility, whether it is having um, for, for Equinox, but also like Soul Cycle outside, um, or whether that is honing a digital app, whether that's taking, uh, we had a, um, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a really amazing photo of people doing yoga on the edge on Hudson Yards, which is like the highest outdoor observation deck. Um, 
in North America. And it, it was just a fantastic photo of people doing yoga overlooking Manhattan. And, and to me, it really spoke to just the resilience of the city. Um, in addition to, I mean, here is this really wonderful, I do yoga, so I, I, to me, it was like a really wonderful form of, of expression, but then also just this city that's been battered so much. Um, and so I think it's, it's whether it's, it's things like that, um, but also just always going back to what is important to, and what got this company where it was, which is always focusing on the member experience. And whether that is in the movement area, the nutrition area, or the regeneration area, which are the three things that we've always focused on, M&R, um, those things are crucial. I, I don't know how you can't focus on those things post-pandemic. Well, I'll just go around real quickly from each of you as our time is running out, sort of as we approach who knows how long before things to return to normal. What do you see as the future of fitness within the pandemic, not even after the pandemic, but before a true vaccine, before a true change to back to whatever normal was? What do you see as the future of fitness, Ariane? Look, you know, um, we went through this pandemic once. Um, going through it, something like this again for us um, we have a lot more education, background, and knowledge about how to handle this than we did the first time around. So if this causes us to shut down again, we now know how fast rapid testing works. We now know um, the things that we need to do to, if we close, how to engage the community virtually in whatever capacity that we do. I think we're armed with so much more knowledge and technique than we were prior to the COVID, prior to COVID. And I think that makes us more resilient, as Yen mentioned. Um, I do think moving forward that, um, as I mentioned this before, that there are a lot more people that are okay with opening up their laptops and doing a workout. And I think that that's great. Um, but I do see eventually people coming back to the gyms that they were before in a safe manner. Um, I think the world has changed with respect to fitness. And I do think that, you know, um, one thing I'll mention is that Mark and I, um, we are neighbors in the fitness community. And when this happened, um, on the outside, we look like competitors. Uh, but when this happened, Mark uh, and the anatomy team welcomed, welcomed us into one of their locations they opened their doors to us and they said, listen, we've got this room. It's got beautiful lighting. It's got beautiful sound. How can we work together? Um, that's something I never even considered prior to the pandemic. And so there are some good things that have come out of this um, and relationships that have come out of this that are, that are really amazing. But I think we're far more prepared um, if this happens again and I, but I do think that the digital programming is a, an excellent way to supplement the in-house program as well. Final words, Nikki? Sure. Um, I, I would echo that. I feel a lot more confident going into this winter. There's so many unknowns, but I feel like we have so many more tools in our toolkit and so much, so much more knowledge and information than we had in the spring. Um, I think we're just like we sort of had a, we came up with a phased approach to reopening. We can implement that same strategy to have a phased approach. If we need to kind of start s shutting down operations again, do we need to go to smaller classes? 
Do we need to move outside? Um, do we need to go fully virtual for a period of time? And again, a, a lot of this, there, there may be some mandates um, at a state or county level, but I think a lot of it is going to be that business decision. It's going to be the trust of our clients. So I don't know what's coming, but I feel a lot more confident that we're going to be able to navigate it. And I, um, I do think that at-home workouts, virtual workouts is going to be part of the approach for most people throughout this winter um, and until, you know, the COVID crisis comes to an end. Um, but we saw as soon as we opened our doors, you know, more than half of our members were standing there waiting. And I don't think that's going to change. I think, you know, we, we're such an important part of people's day-to-day life. Um, for folks who are real fitness fanatics, this isn't just a workout. Um, it's part of their lifestyle, and they're going to make the time and make the room for it. I think that's well said, and I think we'll leave it there. I know people have to go. It's been an hour. This has been great. I mean, I think fitness through a pandemic is one of the most important things. I speak personally, but I think everyone here agrees, and all the people tuning in, fitness is a part of their life as well. Hope you enjoyed that discussion of fitness in the pandemic, both about legal risk, about how they were adapted to at home and, and virtual and of course, some motivational issues and keeping the fitness alive during this time where it's so hard to get to the gym and so many restrictions. Hope you enjoyed it. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, my musical producer, Sam Brandt. Thanks to all of you. Follow me on Twitter, Apple Podcast rankings and comments are truly appreciated. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.